0: A couple of weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago now, or maybe four weeks ago, uh, we talked about soul winning. Brother O'Neill has been talking quite extensively about search for truth and a few things. And then we did talk to you somewhat about soul winning. Uh, Because of the Youth Week services, we had to uh, just give you one lesson and then... Wait until everything kind of cleared. Of course, I took kind of an emergency type trip down to Texas to see my parents and my grandmother, who has been in the hospital. She had been in the hospital since uh, almost Christmas time. But uh, by the way, she was out of the hospital on Monday before I arrived on Wednesday. So I praise the Lord for that. But at any rate, uh, uh, several people came and said, "When we're going to finish this?" Well, I'm not for sure we'll ever finish, Uh, but we want to give you some additional information that we feel will be uh, good for you. So take your Bibles and turn tonight to John 15, and the first thing we'll do is just review what we talked about. In our last session, John 15, verse 1 through 8. Who would like to stand up out in the congregation and read this real loud like? Would you do that? Who would like to stand up? brother? All right, Brother James Drake. John 15, verse 1 through verse 8. Praise God and thank you, Brother Drake. And I think this is such a beautiful passage of Scripture, but when you uh, look at it and look at the content of it uh, and you measure it against your life, there is a certain fear that comes into you. God expects us to bear fruit. He expects us to bear fruit. Now, as we stated in our last study, sometimes we look at the fruit and we count the souls that we save as being the fruit. Now, I personally think that the fruit he's talking about is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, because the vine is the Spirit. We are intricately connected to the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? What? Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is what? Somebody name one of them. Love. Somebody name another one. Joy. Somebody name another one. Peace. Another one. Long-suffering. Temperance. Meekness. Goodness. Faith. And uh, which one did we not name now? Gentleness. All right. So here we are. All right, so we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now the gospel seed comes out of the fruit. I think that all Christians need to take in consideration that uh, the gospel should be spread abroad in this world through the fruit of the Spirit. The, the, The seed of the gospel comes out of the fruit. You don't just have seeds growing out someplace on a on a vine. But it comes out of the fruit. And that's something that's very, very important. Now, just give an example of what maybe. Uh, well, first let's look at the negative side of it. And let's talk about what we shouldn't be like. What we shouldn't be like. And I think that this is something that's very, very important. Somebody mentioned jehovah's witness now somebody told me not long ago is he said now i'll tell you what i did he said uh, boy i tell you uh those jehovah's witness knocked on my door and and uh, i let them have it now of course uh, the method in which this was done is certainly not the method in which i would recommend that you spread the gospel but anyway the individual told me he said well a couple of jehovah's witness knocked on my door and And they asked me, could we talk with you? And uh, I said, uh, well, I don't think it would do any good anyway. Because uh, you don't believe what we believe and I don't believe what you believe. And uh, furthermore, uh, I think that all of you folks are going to hell. And so, uh, the Jehovah's Witness uh, stated, well, first place, we don't believe in a hell. So, the individual who was telling me this story... Said, well, uh, I tell you what I did. I told him, well, it's all right if you don't believe in it, but you wait till you start burning, and uh, you're going to believe there's a hell. See, <clears throat> well, <laughs> while I believe that you can be very firm and very frank with people, and I do recommend that that you uh, at times be very firm and very frank, uh, sometimes you can be too short on diplomacy. Isn't that right? Because, you see, the gospel is to be shed abroad. The gospel is to be spread abroad, maybe I should say, by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, <clears throat> not really knowing, you not knowing who made this statement, it was nobody in this church, so you don't have to worry. Uh, could you see much of the fruit of the Spirit? Could you see long-suffering involved in that? Could you see love involved in that? Could you see gentleness involved in that? Didn't sound like he had much faith, did it? Couldn't see that either. Now you just go right down temperance, meekness, gentleness. Uh, what through the Spirit could you find... In trying to spread the gospel like that. Brother Felix, can you could you possibly think of any of the fruit of the Spirit involved? See, it is possible. <laughs> it is possible for us to, to do the right thing in the wrong way. Now, we're on a reviewing here. So, uh, please understand that uh, we're on a reviewing. We're not going to stay on this very long. But uh, so often, you can do the right thing in the wrong way. Is it right that we witness? Sure. But you see, equally as important as witnessing is to do it in a productive way in which the seed of the gospel that's planted in the hearts of people will bring forth fruit after its kind. That happens to be the law of the harvest. That when God first made this earth, and created the trees and such, and put them here on this earth. He said that they bear fruit after their kind. And that is a very, very important thing. What kind of a man was Jesus? This is what he was like. He was love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and so forth and so on. That's the kind of person that he was. And the first thing that you need to do is to develop the proper fruit in your life. If you have the proper fruit in your life, you will also have the right seed. The gospel seed will be inside of the fruit. I think it's impossible to have this kind of character that we find that's coming forth from the vine... It's impossible to have this kind of fruit without spreading the seed from it. And people will feel the effects of it. Now, to give you another example, I remember one time in a church that I was pastoring, I remember a gentleman who had invited someone to come, in, invited a family to come to church. And so the family came out to church. The first thing they said, where is Mr. So-and-so? I said, well, he's not here. And uh, so uh, they kind of excused that. Sunday morning was. Sunday night they were back after the Lord had talked with them about the service Sunday morning. So that night they said, where is Mr. So-and-so? Well, he's not here tonight. Well, what happened was that come Monday morning, because the two individuals worked on the same job, uh, the man who had visited the church asked the brother in the church why he was not at church Sunday morning. Well, of course, the brother, not really knowing that the gentleman that he had invited to come to church had actually been to church, He gave him some kind of an answer, you know, like, well, we were doing this and that and the other. And so the man who had been to church leveled with the brother and told him. He said, you know, the excuse that you gave was almost identical to the excuse that I gave you a few weeks ago. When you asked me to come to church. Now, what seems so strange about all of this is that, while you were telling me that I needed to come because I needed God, it does not appear to me that you understand your own particular need of God. Well, he kind of dressed this brother down real good about the situation. He waited like three or four weeks, and without an invite, he came back. Now, that happened in a church that I pastored real close to, To this one. In fact, only about this far from here. And so, uh, the individual waited about three weeks, and without being invited, came back to church. This brother was not in church. Then the individual approached me and asked me, said, Say, this man that's a member of your congregation that always is witnessing to everybody. I want to ask you, does he come to church regularly? I've been here three times, and he has not been here a time. Well, I hardly knew what to say because the truth of the matter is, or was, as the case was then, the brother did not attend on a real regular basis. While when he attended, he appeared to be, you know, real holy. He was doing a tremendous amount of witnessing on the job. And the visitor told me this. He said, you know, this man does a tremendous amount of visiting on, a, on the job. And uh, witnessing and talking about the Lord. And inviting people out to church. But evidently, he does not really see his own particular need. He branded this brother as being extremely hypocritical. Now, I am not trying to pass judgment on the brother to say that the brother was hypocritical, except to say that there was part of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, one of these represents faith. Faith, as found in Galatians 5, considering the context means faithful. And what really destroyed this visitor's confidence was the fact that he did not find the brother faithful in the thing that he was preaching was a necessity for The man he was witnessing to. And so the visitor just kind of wiped his hands and said, forget it. Later on, the visitor came back. Uh, Situation developed in the family. Was baptized in Jesus' name. And don't believe he received the Holy Ghost. His wife then was baptized. Don't think that she received the Holy Ghost either. But they were still kind of close friends because they worked together. But did you know that even after uh, that particular experience. They still couldn't get their feet on the ground because they had one hang up. Why is it that he always preaches church to me. But he doesn't come himself. And of course the gospel seed. Or the seed that was sown in the man's heart did not grow and produce after its kind. Now this is something that is very, very important for you to understand. I remember one time having to approach a worker on the bus route. Who worked on the bus route only on Sunday morning. Went out every Saturday. Came to church on Sunday morning. But wouldn't come Sunday night. Neither would he come Thursday evening. And it was kind of a sad day when I told the individual that I had to excuse him from our bus route. Why? I understand the importance of getting people to church. I understand the importance of evangelizing children. I said, you won't bring your own children on Sunday night, and neither will you bring your own children Thursday night. Now, don't come and tell me That you think church is important. You go out and tell everybody else it is. But you don't really believe it is. To you it's mechanical. It's a job. You are disciplined enough. And you know enough about the Bible to know. That you need to get people out to church. But it is not in your heart to come yourself. In other words, he was trying to spread seed without fruit. And you cannot produce fruit without a seed. And you can't spread seed without the fruit. They go together. They go together. And the reason why that some people are totally non-productive in the work of the Lord... Is the fact that they don't have fruit. So you can go around talking to people about Jesus. And you may say this is the gospel. But you see unless people can feel. Unless people can see. Unless people can know. That God is alive in you. And see the fruit on the vine. It is not effective. You see, dried seed that are in a bag someplace don't look too good. But people will gladly take the seed when they get the fruit with it. And oh, how important it is, brothers and sisters, that we be people who are extremely faithful, full of love, long-suffering with our neighbors and friends, gentle to each other, and gentle to the world, showing as much kindness and hospitality as possible, having peace in our hearts, for as much as possible live peaceable among all men, the Apostle tells us. This is so very, very important that we understand it. Now let's go into tonight's lesson. The first thing I want to talk about is salt. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus speaks of salt. And I'd like for you to turn there with me if you would. I left my salt shaker in my office. I really did get one. I was going to bring it out, and I left it in my office. <clears throat> Matthew five thirteen. Now I show salt crystals here. Salt crystals are cube-like crystals. I'm not for sure that they looked like this. Somebody told me they looked at them under a microscope and I was pretty close. So we'll just leave it at that. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 and somebody read that. Brother Felix, you have it standing. Read it. All right, so Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is made up of two chemical components sodium and chloride. Sodium and chloride. Now, the thing about it is, you and I who are filled with the Spirit, we are the salt of the earth. Now he goes on to also to say, "Ye are the light of the world." Do you not say that? Now, certainly, without God, we're nothing. And it is very true that there is a human element that uh, is necessary in order to win people. But there's also a spiritual element that's necessary to win people. Salt is made up of the two components, components, sodium and chloride. Now the thing about it is, if you separate salt, you have sodium and then you have chloride. Both of these are very deadly poisonous. When they are received into the human system without being fused together. Both of them are very poisonous. You could not take much sodium. Neither could you take much chloride. Both are deadly poisonous. And what happens sometimes, we think that God can save people without us. He can't save people without us. He couldn't even do the redemptive work of Calvary without fusing His Spirit with the seed of a woman. It was necessary that God come in human flesh and stand on the face of this earth and view the eyes of man through the eyes of man. To hear the words of man through the ears of man. To see the problems of man through the eyes of man. God, in the form of Jesus Christ, came and visited the planet earth. When John looked up in the throne in Revelation 5, the Bible says that he wept. Much because there was no man worthy to loose the seals thereof. When he looked out of the church that was in heaven, and when he knew that the judgments of the Lord was to rest upon a wicked world during the tribulation period, the Bible says that John wept because there was no man that was worthy to unleash the seals, or open the seals to permit judgment to come. Upon the face of the earth. Why? Because all of us have our own sin. All of us would be worthless without the Redeemer. All of us would be nothing without Jesus Christ. There is not a person among us. That's holy enough. And powerful enough. To save himself. He can't do it. He needs Jesus Christ. He needs Jesus Christ. As holy as we might be. We just could not do it without the Spirit of the Lord. While it was necessary that God become man to view the problems and the situations of man through the eyes of man, it is also necessary that God visit man with His Spirit. Jesus even said, No man cometh to me except... My Father, the Spirit, draweth him. And that's very important that we understand. Sometimes we see people who simply get down on their knees and they do a lot of praying. And they think that God can just save the world through the Spirit. If He could have done that for any, He would have done it without Calvary. He would have done it without the aid of Jesus Christ. The man Jesus Christ. But he couldn't do it. There are other people who feel that Jesus Christ can save the world by them and them alone. And so as a result, they can play beautifully, sing beautifully, preach like an orator. They can do all of these things. And they don't feel that they really need that spiritual component moving and flowing through them. You're the salt of the earth. Jesus was saying, I put my spirit in you. And when you lose that spirit, you're nothing but poison. I can't do it without you. I need you. But on the other hand, you can't do it without me either. I'm not good for man in spirit form alone. That's why I tabernacle myself in your flesh. That's why I look at the world through your eyes now. That's why I look at Your neighbor with compassion through your heart. That's why I live in you. That's why I stand in you. That's why I use your tongue. That's why I use your eyes. That's why I use your hands. That's why I use your feet. Because I need you. God does need us. Certainly He does. Because He can't save the world without us. But on the other hand, please understand... You can't save the world without Jesus either. Praise God. And sometimes people think they can. I can just do it without God. So it's not necessary that I work on myself. It's not necessary that I discipline myself. It's not necessary that I show much goodness. It's not necessary that I develop the character that God has why I can just talk to anybody I want to and man I'm just a real sharp person I'm full of wit and you I've got it I just uh, I've got it now when people begin to look at themselves as gods they're in real trouble I'm in real trouble you think you can heal your neighbor no you can't heal your neighbor You think you can fill your neighbor with the Holy Ghost? You can fill your neighbor with the Holy Ghost. But on the other hand, your neighbor will never hear without your witness. Your neighbor will never know without your witness. God does need you, but you need God and God and man together can do the work. Jesus said if I if I be lifted up in the earth I will do what? I will draw men. How do we lift him up? You know sometimes we think we lift him up simply by telling the world, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ Is alive today. And while it is true that it's necessary for us to tell, please let us understand that telling alone is not witnessing, for witnessing is being an example. They've got to do more than hear, they've got to see. Praise God. And when they see the Lord alive in you, I mean, really alive in you. Isn't it something how sometimes we can become so distorted in our thinking relative to what God is really like? Now, since I've been preaching, I'll tell you, I've heard a lot of testimonies about things that people have done not being able to see themselves as they really are. Now, sometimes I get very preoccupied in my thinking. Sister Grant comes around and, and she tells me, she said, Hun, you know, uh, you need to, to uh, slow down a little bit and get this off your mind, whatever it is, because you're getting sharp with people. Now, I don't intend to be that way, and I thank the Lord for help me. See, <clears throat> uh, if if a man's wife is not valuable, to, if, if she can't help him, and this would be good for all of you to hear, then uh, you certainly don't need a wife at all. <clears throat> Isn't that right? And if your male ego is so great that you can't be told occasionally, then uh, you should have uh, uh, you should have just stayed alone. That simply means she's a help me. That doesn't mean uh, wash your grundies and cook your breakfast. Well, that may be part of it. That's not the sum total of it. See... <clears throat> You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, <clears throat> I, I begin to look at myself sometimes. Sometimes I get grouchy, just real grouchy. Just, uh, you know. <clears throat> you see, Jesus says, I said, Jesus said, Paul says in First Corinthians 11, If a man will judge himself, he shall not be judged. It's good to take communion every now and then because you have to examine yourself. Some people don't ever do it, however, until communion time. Well, if you examine yourself three or four times a year when we take communion, uh, that's not often enough for soul winning. See? It's not often enough. <clears throat> now you listen to this true life story. Somebody told me this. Said, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh late in our church, wasn't this church, uh, <clears throat> whose son is uh, married my daughter, and uh, said uh, he just brung over my daughter something terrible. I, I don't like it. Now he's he's a good brother, see, but just give you an example of how sometimes your your thinking can get rearranged. See, so. One day he said, I just got enough of it. So I went to this sister and I said, Now, you know, uh, your son, who married my daughter, has got to be the worst human being that God ever let free you. Now, I'm giving you this correctly. See? Now, I know... That I have three grandchildren by him. But he is the sorriest hunk of flesh that I've ever seen. Now this individual looked at me and said, Did you know what? That old sister hasn't spoken to me in six months. He said, Now you call that Christianity. <clears throat> I like to die. I don't know what to say. <laughs> You know, he wanted me to pass judgment on her action. You know, man, I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> you know. <clears throat> now, he thought he was dead right. I meant dead right. Well, I, didn't, I just didn't know what to say. See, well, <clears throat> well, the man was very sincere... You see, there was a rearrangement of his thinking. Now, you see, that type of action is separate from the Spirit. It's deadly. It does not enhance life. It does not enhance love. It does not enhance fellowship. Now, can you feature... A church having a lot of individuals like that having a revival. Can you feature that? I just think it all of a sudden, let's say that let's say that everybody in the church is that way. Can't you just see them praying, people through and loving? You know, oh, yeah, it's not that way. You know, I preached one time in church and and uh, I got on a little issue and I didn't really realize what I was doing, but. Uh, i got on something and preaching and everything got real quiet and when things get real quiet i have a tendency to just kind of dig a little deeper you know and find out where the bottom of the hole is so so uh i just kind of dug all the loose dirt out and got down to the where the water was flowing good and found out i dug a pretty deep hole there you know well after church is over a man came to me and said whose side are you on anyway I said, whose side? Y'all have sides around here? You know, (laughs) act like they're playing softball or something. Well, I said, well, I didn't know y'all had sides. I said, I'm on the Lord's side. He said, well, we all are on the Lord's side, but you know, you know the pastor told you all about. I said, oh, no, nobody told me anything. I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. So I confronted the pastor and he kind of chuckled. He says, oh, this guy, he's got a burr under his saddle. You know, he just, <clears throat> he's bucking around here like an old horse. And uh, so, <laughs> well, <clears throat> I decided, you know, I just want to stay off that. The rest of the time I was there, and I did. Because I was not the pastor, and it was not my uh, job to, you know, to straighten everything out. But uh, you'd be surprised. <clears throat> when, when you really stopped praying, and when there's no consecration in your life. Now, you may be as charming as Grace Kelly. I heard she was a charming woman before she died. Uh, I did not know her, but I saw a lot of pictures of her after she died. But you see, you may you may be the most charming person in the world, but you see, Grace Kelly wasn't known to be a soul winner, was she? Was she? <clears throat> you may be able to sing better than Elvis Presley. Now, at one time in my life I really thought he could sing. Later on I found out that I wasn't singing. But nevertheless. He wasn't noted to be a soul winner, was he? And you see, just because you're talking about Jesus in your song and in your vocabulary doesn't mean you can really win people to the Lord. And one of the most devastating things in this world is to preach something that you don't live. And I'll tell you one thing. If the saver... It's not in the salt. People will know it. They'll know it. They will know it. Now I want to get into something else that I think is very important. True elements of of worship. John 4.24 You may say, does worship actually have anything to do with... uh, was so one? I think so. <clears throat> I think one of the most powerful things going for an individual is true worship. <clears throat> you teach teaching search for truth. If you just if you're a methodic teacher, I mean everything has just got to be just right and you gotta go through it. You never say praise the Lord, you never really worship God you probably won't win anybody to the Lord. I've taught several search for truth. I'm not saying this to boast, but i taught several search for truth on the first lesson I brought the person over to church and baptized them, seen them filled with the Holy Ghost. Because I found out a long time ago that what can really stir up a heart is worship. Why is it the preacher can preach? He can tell a scary story. You know, he can almost run all the devils out of town with some of his stories. And some of these hard-hearted people just sit back there. And they won't do a thing. But you let people start worshiping, and all of a sudden the altar will fill up. You ever notice that? See? Well, I remember when Charlie moved up here to be with us. I referred to him several times because well he's in our home and uh, I know the situation well because I work with him. But I remember when he moved up here I was I was praying one day about him coming. The Lord impressed me. Now you keep on worshiping me and let him let him hear it. And let him feel it. So <clears throat> we go down the street and well, I didn't do it for show. I tried to be just as normal as possible. Thank you, Lord. I love you. Praise God. It's good to know you, Lord. I'd see him kind of cut his eye over like, <clears throat> this guy is, he's got a communication with God. And I think this is so very, very important. You see, you will never transfer to the individual the feeling you have, especially if you don't have it. See? you got to feel it. You know, it's like getting a person down here at the altar. You know, I think one of the most important things <clears throat> after preaching is the altar service. You know that. You know See, you can't expect to have a revival, though, if first thing you do when the altar service is, takes place is grab the diaper bag, head for the door. Now, we got a lot of people here with small children. It's not to say that uh, these are the guilty people. That's not it at all, but I'm just using that for an example. Or get your Bible, your purse, and get out of here. See? You cannot say that you really care about the lost. If all you're interested in doing is is getting a good seat over at marks. You follow what I'm saying? You know, you got to be truthful with yourself. This is some you got to be truthful with yourself. There's one thing that God hates and that's hypocrisy. Well, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. He come down strong hard against the Pharisees. He pronounced seven woes upon the Pharisees. Matthew 23. Why? All of them dealt with their hypocrisy. He said, with your mouth you worship me, but your heart is so far from me. And he went on and on and on. What do you do, he said? You go out and you try to win somebody the kingdom of God, and you make them twofold more a disciple for hell than yourself. Why? Because they see your hypocrisy and man always has a tendency to, if, if, he's, if you're gravitating toward conservativeness and you win somebody, most of the people you win will be a little more conservative than you. But if you're gravitating toward liberalism, most of the people you win will be a little bit more liberal than you. <clears throat> That's the reason why it's good to have a, a, the proper balance. Why? Because you see, there's no veering off. They get the balance you have. See, they move in the direction you're moving, most of the time a little faster than what you move. But if you get the right balance, they'll get on the right track. See, but because you're veering this way or veering that way, they're going to get out ahead of you sometime. Then you wonder why. Why is the? Why are the people I win so dogmatic, or why are they so liberal? See, that's what Jesus was saying. Because you're liberal, they become a greater product for hell than yourself. Why? Because they're on your track. They're just about ten blocks ahead of you. See? But this altar is such an important place. You know, there's one thing to keep in mind when you're praying with people at the altar. If you're teaching search for truth in the home, if you're teaching in the library, or if you're having a street meeting, don't you ever expect anybody to feel more of God than what you feel. Why should a ranked sinner feel God more than you feel? And ask yourself this question. Do I presently feel enough that God is refilling me with His Spirit? And if I can't feel that amount of God, then I don't have much confidence that He's going to feel this person I'm teaching. And if I can't feel God while I'm around them, why should I expect this person who doesn't know God to feel God? Especially when I'm I'm expecting God to move through me. Especially when I'm expecting God to flow through me. She's going to feel what's coming out of me. Why? I'm the salt. If I lose the power, the strength, the preserving factor, the saver, put me on the sidewalk, I might be able to melt the ice. But that's about all. See, that's what he's talking about. I might be good traction for somebody who's about to slide down. But I'm not going to save anybody. <clears throat> and one thing that you've got to keep in mind is that people got to feel what you feel. If you don't feel anything, they're not going to feel anything. And you can't just jump up and say, well, i got to go to teach church for truth and get out there and all of a sudden, oh, I haven't prayed now in three days. I sure hope this person, God's Word is just going to do its job. Will it? Then why don't you just start passing out Bibles like the Gideons? As much as I believe that passing out Bibles is all right, very few people that just got down in a motel room and just opened the Bible and all of a sudden started speaking in tongues. You don't hear stories like that, do you? I'm not going to say that you've never heard a miraculous heard of a miraculous conversion. That's just not the way that God does it. The angels of the Lord appeared to men in the New Testament. Cornelius, an example. And when Cornelius, on the road to Damascus, and Jesus Christ himself verbally communicated with him, he told him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He said, you get up. And you go to Damascus and I got one by the name of Ananias who is on the street called Straight and he'll tell you what you need to do. Now why did Jesus Christ himself seal his lips? Because he commissioned the gospel in the hands of men. Men have more power with men That's God's method. They all know that God is holy. But they need to be able to relate the holy God to carnal sinful flesh. And see the purity of God control the life of a man. To the point that they could look at that man and find no fault with him. That the fruit and the character of God is alive in the man's life. They need to be able to feel the electrifying presence of God coming right out of the man. Can you talk to a sinner and weep? Can you do it because you feel God? Can you occasionally bow your head and say, Thank you, Jesus? You see, worship is not just a Sunday morning. It's not just a Thursday night. It's not just a Sunday night fling that an apostolic has while he's having his fit in church. And that's all it would be, friend, if this is the only time we do it. But it's something we do all the time. We feel it. We're in His presence. We worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. Spirit and in truth. Two elements of true worship, spirit and truth. Someone said this has a small s, should be spiritual. Spiritual worship. So we, in this case, we use it as an adjective rather than a noun. Spiritual worship. Also, truthful worship. we want to use it as a noun, we use it, we need the Spirit, and we also need the truth. That's the way I've shown it here. But either way, I believe you're going to get the same story. Let's talk about true worship here just for a moment. Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. God's going to give us power after that the Holy Ghost come upon us upon us When John the Baptist came upon the scene, what did he say? He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, saying, There is one mightier than I coming after me, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. And he shall do what? Baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The Holy Ghost that's in us is manifest. Manifested. People need to see that manifestation. It's manifested in spiritual worship. Praise God. I say it's manifested in spiritual worship. Well, there are a lot of people who say that when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that, uh, you know, it doesn't do anything. You know, it's just, uh, well, I had an aunt that told my dad and myself, I very well remember. She told me, she said, well, when you get the Holy Ghost, you don't talk in tongues or anything like that. She said, in fact, sometimes you don't even know it. She said, you know, I was herding the cows back to the barn years ago when I received the Holy Ghost. And she said, I didn't even know I got it until the next day. Well, my dad had been full of wit, you know. He said, uh, well, then how did you recognize that it happened the day before on the cow trail? Well, she said, I guess I never thought of that. Well, maybe that wasn't when it happened. I, anyway she said i just didn't know i had it until after i i got it and you know <clears throat> you get it you'll know you got it yeah. right. praise god <clears throat> the prophet said it's like fire in my bones shut up in my bones praise god really you know, and we all have different personalities. And it is reflected in the way we worship. I'll give you an example. Now, Brother Manley's not here, and he's one of our elders. Brother Manley is not a real outgoing person, person in worship. But I tell you what, I've been with him in prayer meetings. I've held hands with him in circles. I've heard him worship God and speak in tongues. You could feel something flowing. I've seen him talk to people and weep. You could feel it. Very, very important. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, they like the Spirit. Now, they don't care anything about the Bible or truth. See? So everything's just, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't want to talk about this name stuff. These issues that divide us in religion. God is just so good. All we ever know about God is what we find in the Bible. If this Bible tells me that you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name, then you have to be. If this Bible tells me that the name of the Lord is an important thing, then it's got to be important. If this Bible tells me that it's necessary to live a separated life, then it's necessary to live a separated life. If this Bible tells me that I should shun the very appearance of evil, then I should. If this Bible tells me I should watch who I fellowship with, then I am. If this Bible tells me I should live pure and holy in this perverse world, then I've got to live pure and holy. You can go around talking in tongues and, and shaking your hands up toward the Lord all you want to. But you see, you need the balance, see. You need the balance. And yet on the other hand, it's possible to have the truth, see, void of the Spirit. In other words, you could go to people and say, let me tell you something. If you don't straighten them fly right, you're going to split hell wide open." you got to baptize, be baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm here to tell you that all this world is lost until they do it. And you're going to have your part in the devil's hell just like all the rest of these false prophets. Let's see how many people you win. <clears throat> Try it that way. See how many people you win. But on the other hand, you know, you may go around and, oh, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. And just Jesus loves us all, and we're so good, and God's so good, and and all we need to do is just have unity and such. All right, go ahead. But you see, if they have not been baptized in Jesus' name and filled the Holy Ghost, they have not been born again. So you're not going to win people that way either. Well, you may feel good about it, and they may feel good about it too. Religion and salvation is more than a good feeling. Let's turn to the book of Leviticus. We just went through this on our Bible reading a few weeks ago. How many of you are keeping up with the bread? All right, a good number of you. It's great to see your hand up. You will never know God the way you need to know God until you read His Word. That's almost like saying you know Brother Grant, but you never heard him preach, never heard him say a word, just saw his picture. Leviticus 1, verse 8. And the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. See, the first thing they did, they burned the fat. <clears throat> you know, uh, <clears throat> that's in the Old Testament. You've been keeping up with this? Then you know the order of this. See, they burned the fat first, and in the inward parts. Why? The fat represents zeal. You know, it quickly dissipates, burns quickly. See, it's gone. You know, you can start any new program in the church and you get 90% of the people enthused about it. But you see, after a while, then you've got a handful that's left. Why? Because you see, after a while, all the emotional touch is gone. The fat's burned. Now we're down to the real sacrifice. See. Now, is the fire going to keep going on the altar? See. See what this Old Testament's about teaches us a lot about ourselves. Now, we know let's turn to Leviticus the 6th chapter. Leviticus 6:13 <clears throat> The fire shall never be burning Upon the altar, it shall never go out. The fire shall ever. Pardon me. I knew I said something wrong. I couldn't figure out what I said wrong. <laughs> the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar, it shall never go out. <clears throat> now, you see, John says the Lord's going to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Paul says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A lot of people struggle with the will of God. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, contains the secret for knowing the will of God. Let's see, you've got to keep yourself upon the altar and the fire has ever got to be burning (laughs) praise the Lord the fire has got to be going all the time now let me show you something that happened turn with me to Leviticus the 10th chapter Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censure and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now you see what happened was that here comes along a couple of lazy priests. You see, they were offering the sacrifice. The fire that was upon the altar came from God. You remember Elijah's sacrifice? You know, He poured water in the whole works, and down came the fire from heaven. Well, see, they were to burn this, but here's a couple of lazy priests. What did they let do? They let the fire go out. The reason why is because, you see, they were continually offering sacrifice. They had wood there, and uh, the fire was to ever be burning upon the altar. A couple of lazy priests came along and says, huh, you know, who wants to keep the fire burning? That's a real chore, isn't it, Brother Charlie? We're burning a wood burner at the house, and you'd be surprised. Boy, when it goes out, that house gets cold. Sometimes it's just easy. You say, well, all we got to do is just kick up the furnace, the thermostat, the furnace is going to come on. Well, that's true, but it's an expensive way, and it also denotes laziness. You know, it takes at least five minutes to build a fire. You see, and this is what happens sometimes with people. See, they say, well, <clears throat> you know, the fire that was burning in my soul, now it's gone out. Why? Why? We don't offer sacrifices hardly ever anymore. Not disciplined enough. So all of a sudden, in walks somebody that you need to witness to. And you understand it's very important that they feel God and you want them to feel God. But you haven't been doing what you need to do. And so as a result, the Lord's not really alive in you like He should be. But you've got to fake it, see. You wouldn't dare let anybody know that you didn't know how to praise the Lord worship. So you're teaching His search for truth. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Praise God. And you know, the Lord means every word that He says. Oh, hallelujah. Now you may think it's strange that I'm saying this, but I just I just feel so good about what I'm telling you. That I just gotta do it this way, you know. Thank you, Jesus. You know <clears throat> I'm just so glad the Lord saved me one day. Oh, hallelujah. Talking about strange fire. These lazy priests, Nadab and Abihu. So where's the matches? My, we sure let this place get cold. Look at this. Not a coal of fire on this altar. So they got down and rubbed their sticks together and got a little fire going. Put it up on the altar. All of a sudden... Out of that altar came the fire of God and burned them. They died. Now let me say something here, and I want to put this in here, and I want to choose my words when I say it. You know, I think that worship ought to be genuine, and it ought to be from God. Now it's real easy sometimes to just, just kind of get so caught up in worship that you, that you miss it all together. You see, while it's important to worship, it's really God that we're after. You know, it's, it's like the charismatic movement. They want to speak in tongues. They want to speak in tongues. Oh, I just got to speak in tongues. I got, gift of tongues. I got to gift the tongues. I got to get it. I've got to get it. I've got to get it. Somebody told me this not long ago. Said so I was at a church here in Madison where they taught, they literally taught this woman how to talk in tongues. If I hadn't heard it from my own ears, I wouldn't have believed it. They told this woman, now what you need to do is you need to get mixed up in your speech. So, look up here at me, Linda. I'm going to pick on Glenn here if you're not going to look at me. But they said, they said, "Uh, now come on, you know, just anything, just say anything. She said, anything? Just anything. Okay. Now what you need to do, you need to pick a phrase that kind of sounds like speaking in tongues. So they were going, "I tie my tie, you tie my tie. I tie my tie, you tie my tie. I tie my tie, you tie my tie." And she got a little bit mixed up tying ties, and so she got the Holy Ghost. Now that's strange fire, as far as I'm concerned. In the Bible, they speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And you know, to some people, worship is so mechanical. You start a fast song, and up they are, and and just, you know. Now, I am not trying to be critical of people who stand in true worship to God. But I am saying this, make sure that your fire comes from an altar of devoteness and consecration. I personally get a little bit skeptical when people dance to songs and sit down in between. You know, it gets too mechanical, see? Listen to me. Now, did you know, as much as I believe that worship will win people, I also believe that the average person who doesn't know God can detect the difference. And while he may not be an expert, he can tell. Now, don't say he can't tell. How can he tell? When he's feeling something. You know, not long ago, we had such a great service of people worshiping. And we had a good number of guests here. Did you know every guest we had ended up at the altar? Every one of them. <clears throat> they did it without any preaching or anything. They just came on down. Started giving their heart to the Lord. What was What was the deal? There was some fire burning on that altar. There were some sacrifices that were being consumed. There was some zeal, the zeal of the Lord, that was causing a real roaring blaze. It was there. Now, I've gone down to people and stopped them. I stopped a gentleman a couple of Sundays ago. He just told him, said, hey, come down here and sit with me. Well, he only comes to church once in a blue moon. And then he's going to get up here and dance in the Spirit when he comes. Don't tell me that's God. Strange fire. Too lazy to pray. Too lazy to fast. Don't care enough about people to witness. It feels good in church you're not worshiping worshiping just because it feels good that's not the that's not the sum total of it while it is good that there is joy that comes upon you see god thought that this was such a, a desecrated experience that he killed his man take a lazy life Take a lazy man and think that he's going to offer a sacrifice with his own fire? God says, no. We're going to burn him up. Why? You see, if God had let them by with that, their sons would have tried it also. See, while... Worship is important. It's God that's the center of our affection. It's not worship. See, it's like the charismatic who says, "I got to talk in tongues. I got to talk in tongues. I got to talk in tongues." You're not seeking tongues. You're seeking God. See, you know when you when you go down to the shoe store, you know, when you get a shoe, you men. Place a shoe has got a tongue inside. You know, you don't go in and say, "I need a tongue." No, you get in a shoe. You know, you need a tongue because you got a shoe. You don't need a shoe because you got a tongue. And that's what happens sometimes in in some of these strange fireplaces. You may say, oh, brother Grant, I wouldn't be so judgmental." Well, listen, I happen to know that that is just stupid people saying, I tie my tie, you tie my tie, I tie my tie, you tie my tie. You know, and sometimes even prophecy, and tongues and interpretation and spiritual gifts can can get real mechanical with some people. You know. You heard about the church where they had, uh, they worshiped with snakes? You ever heard about snake handlers? I think down southeast in Kentucky and places they had snake handlers. Can you people believe people passing snakes around in church? Well, one guy was a member of the church for a long time, and he never did handle a snake. And they asked him, well, why? He said, well, just because every time every time the uh, snake comes my way, uh, uh, he said, the Lord moves upon me in tongues and interpretation. I said, what do you do? He said, well, they start to hand it to me, and I say, seek them outside. Just pass them on by. <clears throat> <laughs> so mechanical see strange fire spiritual gifts were never designed to gratify the individual but to edify the body Praise God. I ruined this. and I, I literally ruined it. Praise God. <clears throat> but listen, when you got the goods and you can feel it and God's inside of you and you're sincere and the fruit of the Spirit's alive in your life and we're giving you a foundation for witnessing. Listen, You see, I'm a firm believer that you're not going to be able to go to Brother Mike Sandin and tell him what he needs to do to win souls on his job. He's got a different personality than Brother Grant. I can't go to Brother Rutherford and say, Brother Rutherford, this is what you need to do to win souls. Brother Rutherford's personality is not like mine. I can't go to Brother Felix Crowder and say, Now, I'm going to give you 99 ways, easy steps to win people. I can't do that. But you see, there is an undergirding principle that's locked in that it doesn't make any difference what the personality of a man is. If he's got the character of God and he's honest and he's sincere, What I use won't work for you. And what you use may not work for me. But there's one thing for sure, friend, that if they can feel God in me and they can see that I'm genuine and I'm sincere and it doesn't take people very long to figure that out, you're going to be effective. If the message that you preach bursts forth from ripe fruit, from love, from gentleness, from goodness. People are going to feel it. Praise God. Praise God. I feel the Lord here, don't you? Oh, praise God. We've gone ten minutes over, and I, I'm sorry. I didn't even know it was this late. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Oh, thank you, Lord. 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 Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, glory to God. And Sister Grant will start playing. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Would you let him just bathe you with his spirit right now? But when he comes in afresh, ask him. Go ahead, Lord, and prune. You said fruit. And then you said more fruit. And then you said much fruit. So while there may be fruit on the vine, we want more. Then He's going to purge some more and He's going to bring forth much fruit. So let your Spirit, Lord, build up character inside of me so I can be just like you. Hallelujah. I love, you, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Just worship the Lord, folks. I feel the Spirit of the Lord here. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Let me be salt. Don't oh, let me be poisonous. Let me have the Spirit and the truth. One won't work without the other. Let me have grapes full of seed. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Holy Spirit thou art welcome in my heart Holy Spirit thou art welcome in